have uh, Monica Francis come back up. She's going to be talking about um, hair and scalp disorders in the ethically diverse patients. Please help me welcome her. Ooh, all right then. <laughs> Thank you. All right, thanks for coming back. I almost didn't make it. <laughs> All right, hair and scalp disorders in ethnically diverse patients. There um, is another title, hair of color, that's fine too. That's absolutely fine. All right, so here are my disclosures again. Hair is the richest ornament of women, Martin Luther. Objectives. Today, today, for this lecture, we're going to identify and address ethnic and cultural diversity issues that relate to hair disorders and hair care. We're going to recognize common scalp disorders that affect ethnic populations. We're going to manage African-American patients with hair disorders effectively. So this talk is, does have a focus more on African-American disorders, but there are... Um, some comparisons that I do with other cultures as well. All right, so here's our agenda for today. We're gonna to briefly go over some stats. We're gonna talk about diversity within the African-American population. We're gonna talk about the biological and structural differences of Asian-American hair, Caucasian-American hair, and African-American hair. We're gonna talk about hair practices relating to culture and then we're going to treat. We're going to talk about how do we treat this, these disorders. Life is an endless struggle full of frustrations and challenges, but eventually you find a hairstylist you like, author or no. All right, here's some stats. In 2008, 41 million African Americans living in the United States, comprising about 13.5% of the population. It is the second largest uh, minority population. The largest minority population in America is the Hispanic Latino American. About 15% of the population, 46.9 million. And then the Asian American population, about 15.5 million, about 5%. So we're, we're looking forward to the uh, Census Bureau statistics and what they'll have to say. This is from the Office of Minority Health from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. All right, top 10 states. So I'm, I'm bringing this up because obviously in America you are going to encounter some African-American patients who are going to have some uh, concerns that may be a little bit difficult to um, understand. So what states are the um, top states that have the largest of African-American populations? So New York is number one. If you look, I'm from the Maryland, D.C. era, so uh, Maryland is number eight, and Louisiana is no longer uh, on it because of the Hurricane Katrina and the exodus from there. D.C. is not a state, so D.C. is not on the list, but those are the top ten. All right, this study was done by Dr. Halder, who is at Howard University, Pearl Grimes from Los Angeles, California. This was done many years ago, but is the incidence of common dermatoses in predominantly black dermatological practice. So what does that mean? Talk to an African-American uh, physician, African-American uh, PA in their practice. Um, what are the most common 
uh, dermatoses that patients come um, concerns with. What are they? What are you going to see? So if you look closely, you will see that number four and five, sebderm and alopecia, are on the list. So they are in the top five. So hair disorders are in the top five of those conditions. All right, and so more from Dr. Halder and Dr. Grimes, the top five hair and skin concerns for African-American patients. So the previous study talked about the incidence of just the practice. So you have an African-American dermatologist, maybe has an inner city office where she sees a lot of African-American patients, but not necessarily limited to that particular culture. Now here, these patients were asked questions, and the patients, the pool of patients, was actually African-American patients. So you still see number four and five, they're still there having to do with the hair. This is a repeat, I think. All right, so let's talk about diversity. Diversity within the African-American population is not a homogenous group. Different kinds of hair within this population. Everyone doesn't have curly, curly hair. Different kinds of hair. It varies in straightness, and there are multiple hairstyles that uh, relate to the grooming practices. This is uh, a woman that I um, met with at my church, and I asked her to take her photo. She has natural hair. I want you to focus on the uh, tendrils that extend away from her. We call this an afro. Extend away from her natural afro, and look at those coil-like tendrils, those coils of hair. So her hair is naturally curly. And you can see here a side view of the hair, very, very curly, and you can just see the coils all just curled up in the hair. This is natural hair as well. We call this locks, all right? The hair is twisted. A group of, a small, small group of hair is, is grabbed and lifted slightly and then just twisted, twisted at the root. This is a natural hairstyle. As the hair grows out, only the part that was twisted remains twisted, so as the hair grows out, then the patient has to return to her loctician, is the word we use, loctician, and that patient will have her roots tighten. She'll have her roots tighten, and then it will be neat again. But this is a, another natural hairstyle. This is chemically treated hair. This is not a wig on a wig stand. This is chemically treated hair. So the hair is treated two ways. Hair is treated uh, with a color, all right, this is artificial, this is color, and also the hair has a permanent relaxer. In the African-American population, many patients get what we call a permanent, but the permanent is a relaxing agent. This, uh, the purpose of the agent is to straighten the hair. Many times in other uh, cultures, a permanent, a per, you may say, is used to curl the hair because you want to change the consistently. But in the African-American population, most often it is used to straighten the hair, make it more manageable. All right, this hair extensions, hair extensions. So looking at this photo, this patient in this area has very little short hair, but she would like to have a lot of long hair. So what she does is her hair is braided in a type of a corn roll, corn roll we call it, and then hair extensions, we call them tracks. Hair extensions are sewn in to the braid, okay, sewn in. Then there are um, hair extensions that may be 
glued in. We do not like the glue. The glue is bad. The glue is bad. If a patient comes to see you and they have glued in tracks, they need to switch over to sewn in tracks. The glue is bad because when it's time for the hair extensions to be removed, when the hair extensions are removed, their normal hair, the little that they do have, that comes out too, attached to the glue and the artificial hair. So we do not like the glue. All right, this is another form of hair extension. This patient has braids. We call say braids, but there are braid extensions. And at the very root, you see the hair is braided. But for this patient, she has allowed the edges of the hair to be loose. So you cannot always see the braids. All right, this is the same patient, or maybe you, see, you can see her natural gray hair beginning to uh, grow. And so at the appropriate time, she will go and have all of those braids taken out. Every braid individually has to be unloosened, every one. And then she will present herself, her hair will be washed, and they will start the process over again. This, this is my daughter. So earlier you saw my son. This is my daughter. Her hair was in braids. We took her braids out, and she has crinkly, crinkly, wavy hair. I know it looks cute now, but just give it a few hours, and it will be very hard to comb. All right. Anybody want to comb that? <laughs> a lot of hair. You see this? A lot of hair. So you see the difference in that there are many types of hair that we have, and then you'll learn later about our hair care practices, why some, and please excuse me if I use the term we, um, I am African American, so occasionally we might slip out, but um, I do, um, you'll see with the different kinds of hair, you'll learn why African Americans treat the hair the way they do, why African Americans don't wash their hair every day, why, why we, we put grease in their hair, we add oil to the hair and not wash all the grease out. All right, so this is like before and after, okay? <laughs> A few hours later, here we are, we have braids. All right, and beads, she loves beads. Clang, clang, clang. This is uh, naturally straight hair. So this patient does, this is a, a gentleman. He has nothing in his hair. His hair is naturally straight um, at this time. Um, but he can allow it to grow out. And as it grows out, eventually his hair does begin to curl. This hair is naturally curly uh, and a little bit thin. But naturally curly, you can see that um, no gel or any kind of chemical needs to be added. It's naturally curly. Hair brings one's self-image into focus. It is vanity's proving ground. Hair is terribly personal. A tangle of mysterious prejudices by Shanna Alexander. All right, so let's talk about the biological and structural differences of hair. For Asian hair first, it's straight. The diameter is about 80 micrometers. That means if you take one hair and cut it and you look at that, that plain view there, it is about 80 micrometers. That's the, crown, that's the cross section. It is the thickest and most coarse compared to Caucasian and African-American hair. So if you take Caucasian hair and lay it down, African-American hair, and then Asian-American hair, the Asian-American hair is the thickest. All right, so we're not talking about how much hair one person has, but just that individual strand. And the density is less than Caucasians. All right, for Caucasian uh, hair, it's variable in its presentation as well. 
straight, wavy, or curly. The diameter is about 70 micrometers, and the cross-section is circular or oval. It is thinner than Asian hair, and if you do a biopsy, the normal amount is about 38 hairs per four millimeter punch. Now, for African-American hair, a variable presentation, most often curly, but it can be anything. The diameter is about 60 micrometers, that's the cross-section, and it is elliptical, flat or almost ribbon-like. So it's not round. You take a circle and you squeeze it, it's elliptical there, almost like a ribbon, and you see there's less hairs per area, per, say, square millimeters, it's not a square foot, so square millimeter, about 22 hairs per four millimeter punch longitudinal fissure along the hair shaft. Hair density less than that of Caucasians and it is tightly coiled. We saw the tight coils, the spiral hair. It is more prone to knot formation. I can attest to that. More prone to knot formation. The tensile, tensile strength is less than that of others. So what does that mean? If I take a um, African-American hair, just one strand, and I pull it, I'll be able to break it a lot easier than that of other nationalities. Now, the coil factor, because of that coil, imagine how hard it is to um, bring a comb through it. It's not that it is um, not combable. It, can't, it is combable, but it is difficult, and you must begin with a wide-tooth comb and then work your way down to a more of a fine-tooth comb once you are able to release some of those tangles. Now, the oil and sebum production um, is, uh, is significant in that most of the time for African-American scalps, they produce a lot of oil, okay? The oil and the sebum production is there. But because of that tight coil, the oil does not make it all the way down the length of the strand. So the scalp is oily, but the hair is dry. So for that reason, for that reason, we apply oil to our hair because the hair is naturally dry. Maybe at the roots it has a little bit of oil, but we apply oil to the hair. All right, she was what we used to call a suicide blonde, dyed by her own hand, Saul Bellow. Hair practices relating to culture. So we talked about the oil factor, to grease or not to grease. So most, not everyone, but many African-American patients put oil in their hair. And oil comes in different formulations. They have a liquid oil. They have oil that is more of a solid. It can be white or clear and have little debris mixed in it. It's, there's different uh, formulations. The shampoo factor. No, not today either. I'm going to ask a question, and you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but given the uh, population that we have here, how many of you all can wash your hair every day? Or you usually do? Yes. Not me. Not me. Um, we, if we continue to wash our hair every day, it will be very dry. Now, that's not every African-American patient, but I will say, okay, I'll think of a person, maybe Oprah. Oprah probably has her hair washed every day, but not, not many other African-Americans. All right, now, and then I'll show you, um, if you look at the picture that I had of my daughter, um, upon washing that, if I, um, 
blow dry it, just, just understand, it. we're talking about a long process, okay? We're talking about half the day on Saturday and lots of conditioner to get the tangles out and taking breaks because of crying, okay? So it, this is a long, <laughs> both of us, right? It's a long, long process. So this is not an everyday thing. And even if you say, well, just let it air dry. How many of you all, if you're running late for work or running late to your destination, well, I'm just gonna let my hair air dry on the way, it'll be all right. How many of you all can do that? Okay, so not everyone, but um, most of the time, um, those whose hair is natural, they can do that, they can do that. But many others in the African-American population do not. Most do not because of the way it dries. When it's wet, it is, um, yes, it looks very straight, but when it is dry, it dries like that picture of my daughter's hair. It just blows up and everyone doesn't want an afro. Everyone just doesn't want one. So we use a chemical relaxer. We use that to straighten the hair that's chemical and then we also use um, heat as well. Heat can straighten um, natural hair, braids, extensions, and weaves. We talked about that. How can I control my life when I can't control my hair? All right, so now we're going to treat some of the common uh, um, hair disorders in the ethnic population. So we have pseudofolliculitis barbae, and I'll be saying PFB, acne ketoidosis nuke, sebderm, tinea capitis, and alopecia. And that last one, CCCA, everybody wants to talk about that one. But I don't have a whole bunch of answers. We'll talk about it in a minute. But everyone wants hair to grow like a chia pet, and I, I don't have that. I don't have that. I don't have it. All right. Okay, PFB, folliculitis, inflammation of the hair follicle. Now, this doesn't have to be um, infectious all the time. This can be... Uh, mechanical, yes, it can be infectious. So it presents with um, papular or pustular um, foreign body inflammatory reactions. So think about the hair. So we talked about that flat, elliptical, or ribbon-like shaped follicle. So now you think about the hair that comes out. The hair doesn't come out straight. It comes out curly. So it's a wonder that the hair even makes it out of the actual follicle in itself. So you have this sharp hair. You remember, um, let's see, if you look at some of the commercials, I don't see them as often now, but Gillette, I believe, used to have a lot of the commercials and triple blade and things like that. So they would show you when the blade crosses across the skin, the first blade will cut the hair up here and the second blade will get it down there. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, some, okay, thank you. So um, when you see that hair cut, it's not cut straight like you're cutting paper. It's cut on an angle. So that angle of the hair is sharp. So imagine we have this somewhat squished hair coming out of an elliptical, flat, ribbon-like follicle. The hair is curved and curly, okay, because it, has the, wants to go, it wants to go into that coil shape. And now it has a piercing, sharp edge at the tip of the hair. When you look at the hair, you just see the end. But micros my, uh, microscopically, it has that piercing edge, and it's curling. So where is it going? It's going back into the skin. It doesn't have to have a hole. It'll make a hole and go back into the skin. So this is what happens. There's inflammation, and this condition can be chronic, and it can be disfiguring. When you have the inflammation, you get hypertrophic scars. And then on top of that, 
keloids may form. So this is very common in the African-American population, but yes, I do see it in the um, uh, Caucasian population as well. So we tell patients, try to avoid shaving. What does that mean? Don't shave every day. Reduce the frequency of shaving. Instead of shaving every day, see if you can shave every other day, every three days, like shave on the weekends. If your job is one of such that is in the law enforcement agency or maybe by you are a uh, waiter and you need to have a clean shaven face, we do have a shaving profile letter, which your office may have as well, and we give the patients a profile letter that says they have this condition and shaving aggravates the condition, all right? so. Most of the time, even the law enforcement agencies will accept the letter. I think they actually, in my 12 years of practice, the only person that have, has ever had um, someone to call me back on the uh, shaving letter, like it was a patient's, with two patients that came in back to back, and they came into the office for both their letters, and um, their boss called me back, and I was surprised because he was the manager of, well, I'm gonna say the, I'm say the name, Six Flags. I was like, oh my, at the amusement park down the street where you all saw earlier, my child riding the park, you're giving the patient a hard time and the cops are, is not a problem? Okay, yes, he needs the letter. Yes, he does not have to shave every day, okay? But I just couldn't believe it. For a while world, it used to be called. Now it's called Six Flags, you're kidding. Really? Okay, okay. All right, treatment, treatment. What we do, we have the patient to take something, we hope it will be clean, to lift the embedded hair through the loop. So you see the hair curled under, you take a tiny little pin, hopefully it's clean, stick it under and just lift it out. You're not snatching the hair out because that induces trauma, the hair has to regrow and there's gonna be problems. So you just lift the hair through the loop and then you cut it. Topical retinoids, topical antibiotics, so we use a tretinoin, we use a Tazerac. Um, Tazerac has been shown to be helpful with the PIH, the post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation that we see. Benzoyl peroxides, we use oral antibiotics short-term, in the mostly in the cycling family, and then intralesional triamcinolone. I usually give about five, 10, um, I've gone up to um, 20 at times if needed. They're really keloids. Vanica can be used and laser can be helpful for men as well. Now we, and then there are women who have this condition as well. Avoid the clochets. We tell them electric clippers are best. If these things do not irritate the nair, the neat, the depilatories, then they can use them. But many patients, these products irritate. All right, so here's PFE. He, here's PFE. He also has acne as well, but PFE is there. You can see the papules and some hyperpigmentation. Same patient, a little closer. Another patient, he has more scarring, more scarring, and that one up there in the mid-cheek, you can tell he's been picking that one. That has been uh, like a thorn in his side, and he's been working with that one, and it's just made it worse and worse. So that would be one of the ones, after we got it nice and soft, to do an injection. And then many here as well. And you can see the hyperpigmentation and the scarring. And so this is psychological as well. All right, AKN, this is what I call a more severe and just a crueler form of PFB, occurs most commonly in the nape of the neck and the occipital area. Papular or pustular eruption, but there is a more severe hypertrophic scar formation, and you get keloids. So we have the patient to allow their hair to grow 
longer. Treat, we treat similarly topical corticosteroids and antibiotics, not as much um, retinoids, not as much, and not as much benzoyl peroxides. Um, we do the intralesional um, injections. Excision is not our first line of treatment, not unless the uh, lesion is pedunculous, it's just hanging. Um, sometimes we'll, we'll do that, but it's not the first line. Um, radiation can be used. We have patients that have had radiation. We usually set that up with that office and have them to have radiation the same day as the surgery, and then they'll go back another week and have radiation again. Compression, and then that's off-label use for the amicumod. All right, so this is a mild case, and I want you to notice that below the papules, below the papules, the skin is almost bald. And this is a common practice in African-American men, especially during the summer, okay? Especially during the summer, they love to have their hair uh, clean cut and close to the nape of the neck, it's bald. And then as you rise up closer to the um, higher part of the posterior scalp, then the hair gets longer and longer. So we tell them, please don't have it cut so low. Allow the hair to grow, okay? But you can see there are some inflammatory papules. In addition to that, there's some keratotic papules. So those hard keratotic papules, it's going to be very difficult to inject, okay? You're going to break your needle, and you're going to be struggling, and the patient's going to be looking at you funny. So what you need to do is soften them up a little bit. This is what we recommend, that you use a little bit of a cortisone to soften, a topical cortisone to soften it, and once it's soft, then it's much easier to do an injection. So this is a little bit more of a severe case. These nodules are much larger, and you can see some of them are even pustular. All right, and this is more extensive. This is more extensive. Um, the nodules are not as big. These are more papular, very inflamed. They're ethematous, but um, they're still, this is still severe even though the nodules are not as big. It's multiple. There are many, many nodules in that, um, in that area, and the hair can only cover a part of it. So this is psychological as well. These men have to go to the barber, and um, they know that um, it's there, and it's difficult to work around it. And then this is infected, okay? This is infected. So this patient definitely needs oral antibiotics and topical antibiotics in addition uh, to the treatment that we offer as far as topical corticosteroid. You would not give it intralesional at this time. You go ahead and let it heal. Sebderm, cradle cap, and what I'm talking about for adults. Sebderm etiology, malachezia furfur, um, genetic. There's some environmental factors. I have patients that tell me their sebderm flares up more in the summer. I have patients that tell me their sebderm flares up more in the winter. Um, and then, of course, patients who are HIV positive, or immunocompromised, their septum is actually very bad, very extensive. There are a variety, variety of uh, uh, treatments. What we try to do in our office is try to keep the patients off of the corticosteroids for a long time. Initially, if it's very inflamed, we may give it to them temporarily with no refills, um, usually a very low potency corticosteroid, very low. Um, I'll use something like a locoid lipo cream or even sometimes a designate gel if it doesn't burn, but something just very low. But the, um, I like the sulfur, um, topical sulfacetamides. If they're not allergic to sulfur, I like them. I have been using a lot more of the, what do we call it? It's, it's a certain word for them. Those, those creams that you pay a high copay for, and there's, there's, there's not really anything in it, but they're good moisturizers. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> 
They're great, though. They're great. They're, it's, a, it's a mechanical, there's the name for it. I can't think of it. But I've been using them. They're actually very good. So um, Epicerum, and there are other ones. But those are very helpful as well because of the dryness. The dryness is major in the eyebrows, along the hairline, perinasally, in the mustache, and in the beard. So remember, when these patients come in and you see their hair and their hair is dry, um, I have many patients tell me that their um, primary care physician told them that they didn't wash their hair enough and basically they just felt dirty when they left and they just didn't um, feel comfortable. So it's not a dirt issue, it's more of an um, ethnic issue that is cultural because of the um, dryness and the grease and then you add on Sebderm, it just makes it difficult. All right, so this is septerm. This is hypopigmentation along the hairline. And there are more there, but if you look in the eyebrows, you see it there as well. All right, tinea capitis. Trichophyte and tonsoran is the number one organism. That is a prominent board question. It occurs more often in prepubertal children, so in those children that have not reached puberty yet. So it can be as young as four and six months, and then we treat them um, at any age, of course. Source of infection is contact with a pet or an infected person. Yes, it can be geophilic as well. Patients can um, uh, achieve or have tinea capitis from working in the soil or dirt. It's just not that common. Occipital lymphadenopathy is common. We see that often. Now, the fine scaling that, dis that, that persists despite washing and lubrication of the scalp, and we do see yellow crust. So if you see a child, a four-year-old, a seven-year-old, a nine-year-old, with dandruff, just dandruff that won't go away, and they just wash it, and the dandruff comes right back, most likely it's tinea capitis and not septerm. Septerm is usually for the older pubertal patient. All right. And then sometimes there are pustules, a very boggy growth that is that carry-on. All right, so what do you do? We do a KOH or a fungal culture. We usually do fungal cultures more often. Um, but if it is clinical, if the patient has lymphadenopathy, we just go ahead and treat. We just treat clinically. Oral antifungals, I remember this question, griseophobin from pharmacology years ago. Griseophobin with a bowl of gravy. Bowl of gravy, so that means that the um, griseophobin is better absorbed with fatty foods. Um, tell the patient a, a spoonful of ice cream. After dinner, you have your griseophobin and a spoonful of ice cream, and that is fine. And then if they do have a carry-on, they need some uh, cortisone. This is a little bit fuzzy, but this is tinea capitis. Here's another one here. So you can see these little patches. Maybe you don't see the flakes as much, but you do see little areas where there's supposed to be hair, and there is no hair. There are little bald patches there. It's not supposed to be there. That patient has tinea capitis. Hair breakage, this is a common, common issue in the African-American population. Hair breakage, possibly a result of trichorexis nodosa. It's a condition that's a structural hair abnormality. Um, it's a possibility. Most of the time, the hair is very dry, and it's brittle. The patient has a favorite little itchy spot in their scalp, and they constantly scratch just that scalp. And when after you finish your history and you uh, continue on to the physical exam and you look at the scalp, you see that the hair is broken off. It's not even but three or four millimeters worth of hair there. So um, that is a common, common finding. And we can do a pool test 
the pull test, usually it, it, for a pull test to be truly positive, you need to grab an entire, uh, almost a handful of hair in the hair uh, to come out. But uh, many times when you pull the hair for a pull test and hair breakage, it does not come. If it does come, it does not have the bulb at the end. When you look at the hair, it is just a much shorter hair than the rest of the hair without the hair bulb at the end. And then breakage usually occurs at the weakest point of the hair. All right, so I'm going to try to explain this. I talked about permanent relaxers um, earlier in the lecture. Now, to be truthfully honest, they're not really permanent. We have to get them done every six to eight weeks. What's permanent is the hair that it was applied to, it works on that area. But keep in mind, in four to six to eight weeks, you have new growth coming out. So that new growth is natural. That new growth is curling. At the point where the natural, strong hair that's curly meets the chemically straightened, weakened hair. That point where you have curly hair that meets straight hair. At that point, that is a weak point. It's like the weakest link in a chain. And so, if the area is dry, if the area is dry, is not moisturized, and it has been compromised in any way, that's the area where it's going to break. So you left, when the patient comes in, they're left with hair that is only less than an inch long because of that. You all follow that? All right. All right, so how do we treat? Moisturizing conditioners, moisturizing shampoos, um, conditioners called Hair Max. Pantene uh, makes one. Pantene has a line for uh, women of color, comes in the brown bottles. Um, Leave-in conditioners are okay. The dimethicone agent applied to wet hair. Um, I prefer oil-based moisturizers, oil-based moisturizers, because a water-based moisturizer has water in it that's going to be wet. You're going to wet the hair, the hair's going to dry, it's going to be dry all over again. So I prefer more of a thicker oil-based moisturizer that will be long-lasting. All right, so this patient actually has growth. By the time she's come to see us, you see her hair is nice and shiny. She's been applying moisturizer daily. But you can see where her hair length is supposed to be, and then you see where the hair is shortened. So she's been working with this, and when, she's become, when she has uh, returned for her visit, her hair has already grown. But I do have some other more uh, graphic photos. So this photo, all in the middle, you see that curly hair. That is very short hair. It's very short hair. Only the hair around the edges, when you look at that hair, you can see it's straight, and you can actually see the length of the strand. That hair is still there. The hair in the middle is broken off, and she's been chronically scratching that area. You can even see some erythema. This patient has eczema. This patient was going through a lot of stress. She told me that she had um, a lot of death in her family, that some people were sick in her family, and they were close together. So she had eczema on her neck. And she began to scratch. And she continued to scratch. And that eczema creeped up her neck. And it caused that hair to break off as she continued to scratch the area. All right, this is a patient that has braids. She actually has, um, she actually has a twist. Um, and all that hair is broken off. All that hair is, is, is that's hair breakage, and it's not enough to pull into a, um, into a lock, actually. So um, she uses the length of her other hair to just cover it. We would call that a comb over, but she brings it over, and that covers all of the hair that is lost. So she is anxiously awaiting for her hair to regrow.
And this is her again. You can see where well, that hair is very short. All right, traction alopecia, one of the most uh, common avoidable causes of permanent hair loss, may begin in early childhood, as you um, saw my, my daughter earlier with the tight braids. They weren't, they weren't that tight, but I am very aware and very cautious of the braids along the edges because that begins that begins the traction alopecia. If his braids are too tight, if the hair is pulled back in tight ponytails, so, so tight for a long time, that causes the thinning of the hair. And the hair doesn't um, just break off, the hair comes out, the hair comes out. All right. And so sometimes it may be tight pigtails, very, very tight pigtails in young children as well. All right, initially it can be reversible, initially. But there are many patients, there are many people that you may even see um, that has a receded hairline due to very tight braids. And I'll use uh, Stevie Wonder as, as an example. When you look at him, his, his forehead is a lot larger than it used to be several years ago in the size as well because he has traction alopecia and it is going back. All right. Pulling and straining small, sometimes you get some smooth ball patches. So it's two things, it's the pulling and the direction. Patients tell me, no, no, I don't wear a tight ponytail. I said, but you always brush it back. This is always gel back, slick back, brush back in one way or another. And then they may nod their head. And so the, um, the direction is a factor as well. So you want patients to change the direction and instead of bringing it back, it needs to go down or maybe forward. All right, so patient education is important. Uh, we use um, topical uh, corticosteroids. Um, sometimes we do injections as well. Oral antibiotics are only indicated if there is a need for that, um, not usually intralesional um, triamcinolone. But topical minoxidil can be used as well as hair transplantation, and that is, of course, one of the last, last resorts. All right, traction alopecia. I don't, I'm not going to try the pointer, but you see where her hairline is supposed to be. And you see smooth, bald patches, and then you see a few strands that may be on their way, another linear area of a smooth, bald patch, and then you see sewn-in tracks that are sewn-in tight. So what is going on? She's going to continue, continue the, uh, the process because she's... Um, She's unable, this patient is unable to cover all of that baldness with her natural hair. So she feels that she must have artificial hair to cover it, and that artificial hair is sewn in, and I tell her every time, it can't be tight, it can't be tight. All right, so here we are again. All right, CCCA, this is the big, the big kahuna. What do we do with this? Oh, it's rough, it's rough, it's rough. Um, top, it's in the top five of all dermatology complaints in African-American population. Former names, they've changed the name about three times. Hot comb alopecia, follicular degeneration syndrome. It used to be central centrifugal scarring alopecia. They changed scarring to psychiatrical alopecia. Um, it is a group of poorly understood disorders that cause scarring hair loss. And when the area is scarred, when, there is, when it is fibrotic, it's very difficult to get the hair to come back. Many, many times when we get the biopsy back, the biopsy will essentially say that the 
There's a void there. There's an opening of where the hair is supposed to be, but instead it has been replaced by scar tissue. So where there's supposed to be a follicle, there is now scar tissue. I don't have anything to make new follicles appear. We can work with the follicles you have, but it's very difficult to make new follicles appear. All right, so the vertex or the crown is the most common area of involvement. It's gradual expansion. It starts off very little. Puritis occurs, so the patient is itchy, 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 and then they begin to scratch and they get the broken off hair. So we look at it and say, oh, you have hair breakage. Let's work with that. Moisturize. Let's do this. Let's do that. It's chronic and progressive. There is possibly a hereditary component. Now, there are many theories as to why this happens. You don't understand fully because every woman does not have this. It's very common in the African-American population. Every black woman doesn't have it. We believe that it has something to do with chemicals, whether they're chemicals of chemical relaxers or is it color? What kind of, what kind of chemicals is it? We believe that maybe there is a sensitive scalp gene. And your scalp is sensitive, so that's why uh, when you have these chemicals applied, you get inflamed, more inflamed than the other person, than your sister. And so that's why you have this um, thinning problem and your sister doesn't. Because they're going to ask you, why, is my, why am I losing my hair and not my sister? My sister has a full head of, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> Would you like to bring your sister in? I, I don't know. All right, so um, it is chronic and uh, progressive, inflamed, and there's a decreased number of follicular units. So you remember in the earlier slide, we talked about how many units in the African-American population, and I believe it was low, like 22. So my goodness, if it's already low, and then now you have a decreased number, and you see this. When you look at the scalp, sometimes you'll see an area where there's a follicle and one little hair coming out, and then there's a lot of space, and then there's another follicle and one little hair coming out. It's, it's a very poor prognosis there. Sometimes you see a lot of space, a smooth, bald skin, and then one follicle with like five hairs coming out. It's like, okay, that's great, but we need some more hair around the edges. It's difficult. All right, so uh, the original area of hair becomes scarred and spreads symmetrically with active areas around the borders of the baldness. We advise our patients to reduce the frequency of the chemical relaxers, reduce the frequencies. It's very difficult for a patient to come in and they've been getting their hair chemically treated for 10, 20, 30 years, and then you tell them, well, you need to stop. You need to stop relaxers, you need to stop chemicals. It has to be a gradual process for them. You just, they, many times they can just not go natural, like the earlier, the first slides that I showed. So. Um, we have them to decrease the frequency of the relaxers. We have them to apply their um, oil or their grease a few hours prior to that protect that provides more of a base, more of a uh, um, protectant to the scalp so that when the chemical relaxer is applied, there's less chance of a burn. So what we believe is the chemical relaxer is applied, the scalp burns, it causes inflammation, and then it heals. And then six weeks later, it happens again. Well, over the period of years and years and years, that scarring occurs. If you put a chemical on your hand every six weeks for 10 or 20 years, this hand is not going to look like the other hand. There's going to be some hypertrophic changes. And so that's what our theory is as to why this happens. Okay, 
So we do um, give um, uh, steroid injections to treat this. Um, it's still a difficult thing to do. Um, we also recommend good hair care, biotin, and the amount of biotin that we recommend to our patients is about um, 1,500 units, no, 2,000, 2,000 units per day. And the way that the biotin comes, usually, whether they go to their GNC or even Walmart, it usually comes as um, 1,000. So they have to take more than one. Let me see if I got that right. We usually recommend 1,500, yes. Yeah. So anyway, we recommend, they have to take usually two pills, two pills of the biotin. All right. No lyrioxers is good as well. All right, so here is early stages of CCCA. Early stages, it's more like a linear loss of hair. It's linear, this is very early, um, but if you look at the hair, the hair is very naturally curly. So it looks like this patient has already begun to let go of uh, perms and uh, chemicals in the hair, and that will help to stop the process. All right, this is a little bit more advanced. And this patient also has what looks like to me a little bit of dissecting cellulitis. I don't know if you can see, but it also is very inflamed as well. It also is very inflamed, and this patient needs oral antibiotics. This patient um, is very extensive, and her scarring is extensive. You see multiple areas of smooth, bald areas. And these patients will come and tell you that their mother died with a full head of hair. And they don't understand why their sister has a full head of hair, their mother died with a full head of hair, and they intend to die with a full head of hair as well. So um, when this is presented to you, you have to speak to the patient about expectations as well. You have to talk to them about expectations, and it's taken me a while, but I just tell them, this area right here is smooth. And it's going to be very, very difficult to get some hair to grow there. Now, around the edges, we might be able to work with that, but this area is smooth. We can do a biopsy, and the biopsy will come back and show that it's chronic, chronic inflammation and fibrosis. They even will say end stage, end stage. Another patient, very elderly, it, for them it doesn't matter in their age. We think, we may think, okay, well, you're... 92 years old. Um, I think it's a part of the natural uh, growth for you to lose some hair. They, they don't understand that. They expect to have hair. All right, thank you very much. These are my references. I can take some questions if there are. Ran a little bit longer this time. Any questions? If you can use the mic, then I can hear you a little better and everyone can hear. What? Yes, we can use the mic. Yes, uh-huh, you may go ahead. Uh-huh. What lasers do you recommend for the pseudofolliculitis barbe? What, what? What laser? Oh, the laser. Um, let's see what we have. We have um, in the office, I believe we use a, a Fraxel, I believe. I think we use a Fraxel laser, I think. All right? You mentioned topical or... or uh, shampoos. You mentioned yes. steroid, topical steroids, or steroid shampoos. Um, do you have a preference? Foam, lotion, oils? For, for what for, condition? Just generally speaking, for African-American type hair. For type that hair. You don't want to change the, the hair The hair texture. texture, yes. Okay, so having said that, um, if the patient has natural hair, then I use more of an oil. 
like uh, Dermasmooth oil or even um, a grease, like a fluocinonite ointment. Um, even if it's very extensive, it's very inflamed, something higher, like even a betamethasone um, type of an ointment. If their hair is natural, and if their hair is relaxed, they can still use the oil, but the foams are fine, um, the Olux and the Olux E and those foams, they're fine. Um, they just need to use a little bit. And I tell them you're not supposed to make your scalp wet because if your scalp becomes wet, then it may uh, curl up your hair when you want it to be straight. So the foams are fine if they just use a small amount to the scalp. I tell them it's not for your hair. So um, I don't use creams that often because the creams are wet and they just don't do as well. But I use more ointments and I use um, oils. Um, and foam. So those are the ones that I use often. The spray is okay, but sometimes it gets a little wet in that area. I tend to use more sprays for the body. Uh, yes, we'll go here and then there. Oh, there. there. Yes, go ahead. Mm -hmm. For Pseudophilicus uh, barbae, you recommended topical retinoids, but not for acne keloidalis nuket. Why is that? I don't use the retinoids um, in the back of the scalp that often. I haven't found for them to be as effective. Um, in the, the PFB, um, I see more of the, um, there's more scarring in the AKN. So that's why I like the cortisones better. In the PFB, there is inflammation, um, and then sometimes there may be an acne component as well, so I like the, the retinoids for that, but I don't tend to use them that often in the occipital area. All right, we were there, go there, yes. I have a couple questions. First one is, um, just so I don't get funny looks in the grocery store, do you um, recommend any certain products as moisturizers, or specific brand names that I could recommend to patients? Okay, um, moisturizers um, as far as for the hair or the scalp, um, as far as grease, as far as grease goes, um, there are many different ones. They could tell you magic something, and they're, they're all different kinds. As far as for the um, scalp, and the, as far as moisturizer for the hair, care care. Care Care is what I like, K-E-R-A-C-A-R-E. Care Care has a whole line of products, and they have an oil-based um, daily moisturizer that I liked. Okay, The Pantene, I like as far as in the brown bottle uh, for, um, what do they call it, Relaxed and Natural. Pantene, Relaxed and Natural. Um, I like the shampoos and the hair mask and the um, conditioners better than I like um, the moisturizer because the moisturizer is wet. It's wet. And so the hair curls up and it was frizzy. All right, here, here. Yes. Do you ever try oh, late? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You had another question? No. Um, yes, but I'll wait. Sorry. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Do you ever try laser hair removal for pseudofolliculitis barbie? Uh, yes. In our office, uh, we do. I don't use a laser personally um, for that, but in our office, yes, we do um, use it um, for, um, for men and for women. Yes. All right. Back to your question. Oh, do you, do you feel like wigs are a safe alternative when they're trying to grow their hair out instead of using um, more extensions? Or yes, yes, yes. Wigs are a safe alternative. In the summertime, it tends to be hot because it's recommended that patients wear what we call a wig cap. And it's usually silk or maybe like a stocking type of a um, material that goes underneath the wig. If you feel underneath the wig, it has these hard edges where um, the area is glued on. And when that rubs against the, um, the hairline, that causes the hair to come out. So yes, I do recommend it, but sometimes in the summer, the patients complain because it makes them too hot. All right, yes. 
for AKN, yes. when do you use imiquimod and how frequently do you dose it? Um, for, I, most of the time I find that with topical steroid use and the injections, it tends to do well. Now this is if, if they are individual papules and nodules. Now sometimes um, for AKN, that has, those papules and nodules have coalesced into a huge plaque where it's thickened and um, the injections help, but they don't really do as well when the area is so large. So that would be a time where you would use um, the amicrod. How do you dose it? Um, similar to the way we use uh, warts, you know, about three times a week, just at night. All right, yes, sir. How long do you have your patients with can treat with topical steroids before you have them come back to do an injection? For, for which treat, for which a condition? AKN. For AKN, usually um, I have them, initially I'll give them a mid to high potency corticosteroid and an um, oral antibiotic, and they'll come back in about six weeks. And then in six weeks, we'll see how it's doing. If it's much better, um, I will decrease the frequency of the corticosteroid. You see that one, you may not remember, one of the patients um, in the area when I talked about the smooth baldness of his haircut, how he liked to keep it so close, he had some hypopigmentation there, and the hypopigmentation is due to the corticosteroid use. So I do warn them about the side effects, but when they come back and things are getting better, better, I decrease the frequency. And so I say when it's nice and smooth, even if it's dark, you put the cortical steroids away, and the next time you go to that same barber and the bumps come back, you may have to pull it out again. All right, that answer your question? Just, um, but specifically when you want to soften um, the AKM lesions. Weeks. Six weeks, okay. This yes. is kind of a follow-up to that, actually. Okay. Um, <clears throat> do you worry about the hypopigmentation for AKN with the injections of the steroids? Yes, yes, it is a concern. Um, I have seen um, uh, the lightening and the hypopigmentation due to injections. I keep it, for AKN, I keep it um, 20 or less than 20 um, IL. Um, sometimes um, patients will come in and they will want to um, be the boss. And they'll say, you know, it helped, but it only helped a little bit. And I want you to make it stronger this time. I need the strongest you got. You have to maintain... Um, your authority in the office and say no, uh, because there's side effects, we have to do this, and then it may take longer, but I tell them that you know you've had this for about five years, so it's okay if we have to take a few months to get it better. All right. When you spoke of seborrheic dermatitis, you spoke of using like a locoid lipo cream versus a high potency steroid. I, I, I'm not, I mean, because you talked about using it for some of your other more chronic issues. Yes. I let me, let me clarify. Thank you. The low-core lipo cream I use on the face. Thank so you. the sulfur okay. products and the low-core lipo cream I use on the face, and then I use a higher potency in the scalp. Thank you very much. All right, yes. I just want to say I've enjoyed your talk. Thank I you. I treat very little African-American patients. I, they're just not, we just don't see them in our practice, so I often feel very inadequate when they do come and ask me things. Uh, as to the AKN, um, Accutane? Do you ever use Accutane? Yes, um, occasionally do um, Accutane. Um, I do more Accutane for dissecting uh, cellulitis of the scalp, um, but if it is um, chronic and more infected and more um, pustular, then I may consider it, uh, but it's not often. Um, usually I find that the corticosteroids work with mild to moderate. Now, we've had patients that come in and it's very severe. They've had it for 10 or 15 years, 
and it's just scarred. And if it's just straight scarred, the Accutane cannot help with just the scarring. Even for our patients with severe nodular acne, I tell them that the scarring that you have, we're going to work with that after acne is over, and then um, the Accutane is going to prevent future, future scars. Yes, any other questions? Thank yes. you for your time. Yes, Greg. One yes. more. Uh-huh. Um, I was in the Navy for 20 years, so I saw a ton of this, and that's why I moved to Wisconsin, so I wouldn't have to see it again. <laughs> yes. Um, but I still see a lot of dissecting scalp cellulitis. Your thoughts on that? Because um, they're, they're always reinfecting themselves, and it's always, hard not to. Always. Um, for those patients, I have used Accutane. I have used um, isotretinoin, and it's been helpful um, for those patients where it just seems to be recurrent. Um, it does not a cure-all as high as it is for acne, but I found that it is helpful for dissecting cellulitis. Hmm? Yeah, I usually do up, like about four, between four and six months. Not quite the full six, just like four. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>